people of God. And I pray it would produce fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold, may it multiply in their lives. Give us insight into the mysteries of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. Have you ever told a joke to someone that you thought was hilarious, but they did not get it? Well, that is essentially how parables work. Uh, I, I've had the, the, the listener has to get it to understand it. And I've had that happen to me many times. I'll tell something I thought was funny, and people don't laugh at me. Yeah. It happens to five-year-olds, seven-year-olds, and nine-year-olds all the time. I don't know what they're saying. They think it's hilarious. Uh, that is essentially, though, how a parable works, man. The listener has to get it. Yeah, I understand. And the purpose of a parable is to bring home a point, which is, this is like an ancient uh, idea. This is an ancient way of, of doing things and saying things, and Interestingly enough, uh, the prophet Ezekiel uh, did this a lot in the Old Testament, and Jesus borrowed from him. Uh, Jesus would take certain stories and, and bring them up from the Old Testament. Uh, he's the master of using parables to illustrate points. And there's actually about 40 parables, 39 parables in the New Testament, and they cover a variety of topics. You know, they, they have different themes. You know, sometimes, like we'll talk about today, he taught on parables of nature, revealed the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he taught a lot about finances, about stewardship, about how to handle money. He talked about prayer and perseverance, gratitude, redemption, restoration. He talked about the second coming and his dealing in the nation of Israel. Those are parables that he taught through. Uh, I want to draw your attention to the 11th verse in which Jesus said this, after he said this parable, he said, it's been given to you, the disciples, he said, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to people outside, it has not been given. And right there, he's given us a little clue that, that his disciples get to hear what Mark's gospel called the mystery of the kingdom. And the parables, really what they are, they're, they're mysteries in seed form. In other words, the mystery of the kingdom can be explained through the nature of a seed. And since the beginning of creation, it's been that way. Genesis 8, 22, God said, as long as the earth remains, day and night, seed time and harvest will not change. And I was telling you, man, I love driving through Montana. When it's green outside, you can't beat it. We went camping last week. We went up to Red Lodge. That's such a beautiful drive. It's green. And you know that all that happens because you've got seed, time, and a little moisture. And, and that's how this planet works together. He put parables in seed form. And there's several reasons why Jesus did that. He put parables in seed form, first of all, to sow the word of God in your hearts. He said in Peter that you're born again of incorruptible seed. Man, there's something about the, the incorruptible nature of a seed inside a person that takes root. And that is when they begin to grow spiritually and experience who God is. And there's a long-term purpose to it. He put the, the parables in seed form to safeguard secrets. He, he wanted to keep them safe from the enemy who will come to try to steal it from you. Uh, keep it safe from carnal people who maybe don't understand it. And to safeguard them sovereignly in God's timing. It, th these parables really highlight the sovereignty of God. He has the inherent right to give or withhold mercy to whom he sees fit. And what parables do is reveal the Spirit of God at work. You know, the kingdom of heaven is the spirit world. And the Holy Spirit is master in that world. And, and he's bringing things to pass according to his time. And when you understand how, how the kingdom of heaven works, you can understand how the spirit realm works. 
So I'm going to stay in this chapter, Matthew 13, and I'm going to walk through the seven parables about the kingdom of heaven. These are parables about nature. I never fully or never really understood or saw this before until I began to notice the parables. Matthew 13, he's got seven parables in sequential order, and they just go back to back to back where he's highlighting these things, and they all deal with the kingdom of heaven, and they reveal the nature of God. It's got a mixture of influences that work against some positive and some negative, and Jesus reveals them. Now, I'm going to jump back up to verse number three. We read this verse that that Jesus spoke many things to them in parables, and he said a sower went out to sow. And I'm not going to read through the whole parable. It'll take too much time to go through all of them like that, but the, the, the interesting thing about this parable is it's called the parable of the sower. I think this is probably the preeminent parable in understanding how the kingdom of heaven works. And here, you know, in verse 11, when he explained it, he called it the mystery of the kingdom. You know, some seed fell, it says, by uh, the wayside. The birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground and it had no root and was dried up. And some seed fell among the thorns and got choked out. But some of the seed fell on good soil and yielded 30, 60, and 100-fold. You know, Jesus is not talking about the soil of the ground. He's talking about the soil of your heart. And I'm telling you, this parable has helped me so much as a man in the ministry. It has explained so many things. It's given me a a perspective about people and the way they engage the kingdom of God. Because the parable is not about unsaved people. This is a parable about the church. This is about Christians and the way they receive the things of God. It's how we receive the word of God, which determines your fruitfulness and your effectiveness. Here's what this parable reveals. First of all, that you should not be surprised when people do not endure. And I've seen this happen. It might be weeks. It might be months. In some cases, it might even be years later. And for some reason, someone has kind of just drifted away from the Lord. And I've seen this play out so many times. I have friends, heroes of mine, who were in the ministry, man, I thought they were amazing. And, and, and it's like, man, they just disappear. I don't, I don't know if they're still going to church. I know guys that have totally dropped out uh, after they were serving God and doing things. I mean, I, I've just seen it play out in my time over years. And the interesting thing about it is Jesus doesn't put the blame on churches. He doesn't put the blame on people for that. No one's to be blamed if people don't endure. And that is something that really kind of eats me up as a pastor Man, I want everybody to be walking with God. I want to get involved in your life and help you grow, and and I want to see you do it well, but Jesus doesn't put blame on church leaders. The parable reveals a measure of individual responsibility that has to take place in the heart of people for them to grow spiritually. By the way, not everyone who makes a profession of faith really is saved. That's just a, a, a stark reality here. And I have been at altar calls with people you know, crying and dropping snot all over me. And, and like, you know, two months later, they're gone. They're out of the... I, I don't know that altar calls are honestly the best way to evaluate where a person's at spiritually. I think the way that you can determine it is long-term commitment to the Lord. I mean, that, that, that's really how you can see if someone is walking with God. It's over time. We should not judge who's saved and who's not saved. You know, I had a theological debate with my neighbor about this, and he had a little different persuasion than I did you know, we were kind of laughing about it because you, you, you might get to heaven and be surprised who's there and a little shocked at who didn't make. I'm just telling you, this is what the parable reveals. Not everyone who, who, who's planted out in that field really is letting the word of God take root in their heart. 
the thing about this parable is the truth of it is always relevant. It's always applicable. You know, uh, there's lessons of being in church for my whole life where I've seen this take place. I've seen it so many times, man. People, they get excited, they get fired up, and then they're gone years later. But on the flip side, if you really get the Word of God in your heart, that is where success comes from. That is where growth comes from. That, That is where... You know, you, you really walk with God. It's because the word of God took root in a heart and changed a person from the inside out. That's kind of this parable. Now, closely on the heels of it is the second parable. And, and I want to highlight uh, Matthew 13, and I'm in the 24th verse. So if you jump down to verse 24, another parable Jesus put forth. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who, it says, sowed good seed in the field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now, this is the parable of the wheat and the tares. Uh, it's similar to the parable of the sower, but the parable of the sower is dealing with people who are saved. This parable is referring to the lost, just the opposite. So there's some takeaways we can deduct from this parable. First of all, in the kingdom of heaven, there is a coexistence of believers and unbelievers in the world. And Jesus is not a liberal theologian. Thank God for that. He's a simple man. And he puts people into two categories, the saved and the unsaved. Wheats and tares, good and bad. And so when I read this parable, I guess there's a couple things that stick out to me. What I learned from this parable is that God is the one who does the converting. In the 37th verse, Jesus said, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. You know, I enjoy hanging out with um, some of my evangelist friends. Now, I went to Pakistan with my friend Chris Michelson. And he, I'm telling you, he, he's an evangelist at heart. And he loves to just engage people. We're out there in Pakistan ministering to people. And sometimes mass evangelism is criticized because people say, you've got a crowd of people and some of them stand up and you don't know who's getting saved. And so they, they sometimes criticize that approach to ministry. And Chris, he, he's like, listen, I have been on street corners with people and they're crying, and I'm leading them to the Lord, and I'll tell them, I'm right there, man, tomorrow, I will be here, and I will pick you up and take you to church. I'll buy you lunch. I'll do whatever you want. And he said, they're crying, and they'll be like, yeah, man, I'll be here. And he said, you know, most of the time, they don't ever come back. Because he said, you have to let the Holy Spirit do the work. It's the Spirit of God that does the work inside of a person. And that's, he's the one that does the converting. Uh, he, he's, he does the work. You know who else is at work? Is Satan. Satan is at work. In the same way the enemy came in and sowed tares in the field, that is what the enemy does. And for some reason, in the kingdom of heaven, God has given Satan certain liberties at work, and he uses these liberties to deceive people. He uses offense. He uses bitterness. He uses deception. He, he lies to people and, and, and preys upon their wounds. And that's what the parable reveals, that that not only is it God who's working in a person, Satan is also at work, deceiving people. This parable also has theological implications. I mean, when when Jesus explained this parable later on in the chapter, he's going to talk about uh, his second coming and heaven and hell. He said the Son of Man is going to send out angels who will gather out of his kingdom from things that offend and, and those who practice lawlessness and cast them into the furnace of fire. Now, Some people will teach you that hell is like a place on earth. 
But the, G, the, the hell that Jesus is referring to is far worse than that. And hell is a place of punishment. It, it, it seems to indicate it's a place of permanence. And I, I guess I wish it wasn't so, but my job is to tell you the truth about it. That's what Jesus said. He said there's going to be this, you know, they're growing together in the field until the time of the harvest. Believers, unbelievers, everything looks fine, but at some point, things get divided up. And there's eternal consequences to that. That's a parable to lost people, the parable of the wheats and the tares. These are just parables from nature. Now, a third parable, verse 31. A third parable, it says Jesus put forth. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and he sowed in his field. And it said, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it's grown, it's greater than the herbs and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and nest on its branches. So the third parable here is called the parable of the mustard seed. And if you understand how a seed works, then you begin to understand how the kingdom works. It works according to this seed time harvest principle. Uh, now, these are simple parables with profound implications. In the same way that the kingdom of heaven arrives as a small seed and grows, and it begins to provide shade and refuge. Uh, the parable here is actually quite prophetic. What Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of heaven, though it arrives small, is going to have massive influence upon the world, exponential increase. And, and you know, we're living in really what I think is the hour of the harvest. And you're seeing incredible harvests take place in the most populated regions of the world. I know because I've been there. And, and I mean, the harvest that's taken place in the country of Iran is incredible right now. It is one of the hotbeds of Christianity. And people really are coming to the Lord in droves. I've been in Nepal. They've had explosive Christian growth. I was in Pakistan, as you know. I, I mean, this is a hotbed in, in that window, that region of the world, where the majority of the world's population lives. And Christianity is exploding. You're seeing it take place before your eyes. Uh, the, the parable it, here, it underscores God's process. You know, the, the process, there's, there's, there's like a process to prophetic truth. And a lot of times what, what we like to think about is size and success, but what this parable reveals is that God will surprise you with his subtlety. It, it, it's like uh, th this tree grows over time. I don't know if you've ever planted a tree and you think it's taken forever, but years later that tree is enormous. And that's what he said the kingdom of heaven would be like, a giant tree. You know, I've planted trees, and I guess I get, you know, unhappy sometimes with the slow progress that they take, but God said, if you're unhappy with that process, just wait a little bit. I got it covered. That's the way God works. That's the parable of the mustard seed. It's a parable about the potential of real believers. You know, God can take the most unlikely people, and he can turn them into the most sovereign of vessels. And I was just telling you about my friend Chris Michelson. You know, I, I love Chris. That dude was dealing drugs about the time I was starting this church. <laughs> I mean, he, 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 he was like in the world, and I had to laugh at some of the stories he was telling. It wasn't so long ago he was doing those things, and yet I see how God has used him. He said that he's had seen two million people receive the Lord in the course of his short ministry. I, I, it's incredible what God can do with the right person whose heart is open to him. If your heart is open, he can take that small bit in you and multiply it. Amen? Now, another parable, the 33rd verse, the fourth parable Jesus spoke. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, 
which a woman took and hid three measures of meal until it was all leavened. This is called the parable of the yeast. Now, I'm not much of a baker. I'm more of a donut connoisseur. You know, I like a little double, double chocolate donut from Tim Hortons when we go to Canada. <laughs> the parable of the mustard seed refers to the outward growth of the kingdom. The parable of the yeast refers to the inward growth that takes place within a believer. And, you know, this is sort of a paradoxical parable uh, because yeast sometimes in the Bible is, you know, not a positive thing. Jesus rebuked the disciples for the yeast of the Pharisees. But here he's likening yeast to the way the kingdom of God operates. And so the, the idea is, is like this. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is going to have a, a growing influence in the world. And it, it, from the time of the Roman Empire, when Paul was traveling there and getting people saved, all the way up until the Renaissance, when they made the Gutenberg Press and the Bible became... It, it's been spreading its influence in the world. I was reading an article from the Christian Post, and they were talking about modern-day pagans. They said modern-day pagans are not like the pagans of, of, of yesterday. Ye yesterday's pagans, you know, would have child sacrifices. Modern-day pagans are just really more concerned about the planet. But they have taken elements of Christianity and, and applied them because they tend to be more compassionate. And some of the, some of the things you see in Christianity e even are applicable in, in different places and different religious beliefs in the world because it's spread, it's influence has saturated the world. See, yeast has certain properties at work. How many bakers do we have out there that understand how this stuff works? I, I don't know much about it. Yeast spreads. You know, the, the, the yeast affects the whole batch. So the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, when they get in your heart, it starts affecting all your heart. I mean, you start feeling conviction of sin. You start thinking, I don't know if I should do that. That's the yeast. It's spreading in your heart. Uh, yeast is also strong. Just a little dab will do you. You don't have to put too much in that bread. A small amount affects a large bath. And I like what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.6. If you stir up the gift that's within you, it will fan into a large flame. That's the Holy Spirit. His work is strong. Just a little bit of flame gets going inside you like a pilot light. It gets lit. Things get hot. It, it, it's a strong force. And by the way, yeast is a silent thing. Have you ever noticed that? When you're baking, it doesn't make any noise. I mean, it's quiet. You put it in there, that heat gets on there, and, and all of a sudden that thing just, it works unconsciously, seemingly like you don't even know how it's working. It's while you're sleeping. And, and that's how the Word of God is working in your life. That's how the Holy Spirit does it. It's just like a silent thing you don't notice much about before you know it. It has started to spread. Yeast is savory. It adds a little flavor. You know, we stopped at this place outside of Red Lodge on the way up called the Chuck Wagon, which I guess is like an Amish, you know, store. Have you been up there? Now, my friend Ron, who loves camping, he said, you know, the best thing at camping is, is to get uh, jalapeno cheese bread from the Amish store and make grilled cheese sandwiches. And Ron was right. I like those sandwiches I got up there. They're a nice little bread. <laughs> uh, there's a sweetness to the Spirit of God's work in your life. There's a sweetness to it because what he's doing is he's working. And, and he's, have you ever met someone who you sense that the Spirit of God is with them? And it's like, man, they have a sweet demeanor to them. There's something about them that is so wonderful. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. See, this is what the yeast does. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And what he's doing is he's working in the dough. He's needing things in your life. He's needing character and contentment. He's working commitment in your life. Gifts of the Spirit and fruit of the Spirit he's working out. And he's given you holiness that he wants to work, and he also a hatred for sin. He is at work in that dough, 
influencing you to, to follow after him. Now, number five, verse 44. Again, you'll, you'll notice this chapter that Jesus is just going through parables and he's going to say again and again and again. Verse five, or verse 44, the fifth one. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, which the Bible says was hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. This is the parable of the hidden treasure. You know that in ancient times, people used to bury treasures out places because they didn't have banks. And, you know, there were robbers and thieves. So if you had a little something-something, what was common was for you to go bury in a place. And even today, they'll find buried treasures because someone might die or they might get killed in battle or someone might come along and discover. And so that, that's what Jesus is referring to right here. Uh, discovering the kingdom of heaven produces joy in your life. Amen? I mean, there's something amazing about getting the kingdom of heaven when you finally discover that thing in your life. If you ever stumbled across a buried treasure, you would be one happy man because you wouldn't have to go back to work, would you? <laughs> it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and it should be seized the moment you find it. That's what this parable is about. <clears throat> it, by the way, th this is like an individual discovery. This is not a discovery for everybody. This is personal. No one else can discover it for you. It's a funny thing, as a child, you will remember certain bits of advice a parent may have given you. And I remember to this day when my dad had said to me, uh, we were sitting there having breakfast, and he said, you know, you, you can't ride my coattails into heaven. You're, you're going to have to have it for yourself. It's going to have to be real to you. And, and that's kind of like it registered to me. I, I, I have to have this real in myself. That's what the parable is. It's an individual discovery that requires inductive intuitive discernment. You have to be analytical enough to comprehend the magnitude of what that treasure is. The magnitude of the treasure, the kingdom of heaven. And it, that, that comprehension of, of how incredible the offer is, how, how valuable that treasure is, it will lead you to want to protect it. I'm doing a little house shopping. I like to look for homes, right? I found one the other day. Oh, it was amazing. I went and looked at it, and I crossed it off my list. But I wasn't about to tell anybody I found it until I crossed it off my list. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you, you find something that's very valuable, and you're like, I want this for myself. I want this for my family. That's what you have to do with the kingdom of heaven. It belongs to you. It's personal. It, 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 and you've got to see it and analyze it in the moment. It demands an instant decision. Jesus called it a revelation. It's an aha moment. It, it, it's that moment when you fully comprehend, I am guilty of sin, but Jesus paid a price for my soul, and it becomes very valuable to you. When you understand you're guilty, but a price was paid, that's a treasure that really comes alive. And man, there's nothing like the relief and the joy of being forgiven of sin. Can I get an amen? That's the treasure in the field. You find that, and you start getting excited about it. Jesus made a redemption for you and me, man. What a treasure that is. Now, we got these parables in sequential order, so we're talking about a treasure. Now, now in, in the 45th verse, a sixth one, he said again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and he bought it. The parable of the fine pearl, or the pearl of great price, this is similar to the previous parable. But the, the parable of the fine pearl 
refers to someone who's seeking. And the parable of the hidden treasure describes uh, someone who wasn't looking for anything but stumbled across a hidden treasure. And here's the point. You have to recognize the value of the kingdom. In order to recognize something, you know, you kind of got to be a bit of an expert. You got to recognize what is authentic. I have a friend named Corbett, and he's, he was pastoring in Seattle. Uh, he, he, he had a guy at his church who said he kept having this dream of a green dragon in his attic. Like, he had it, and then another month later he had it, and then a month later he had it. He's just having these dreams. And he thought, what in the world? So he decided to go up in the attic, and he was kind of digging through, um, you know, some stuff. He found his grandpa's old World War II bin. And in that case that he opened up, that he, there was a, a, a green jade dragon. His grandpa had been fighting in the Pacific Theater in Hong Kong and brought it back with him in 1945, 44, something like that. He, you know. Anyway, he, he thought, well, that's interesting. That's strange. But he had this like, impression, you know, figure out what this is. You know, he, so he went down to a dealer, an expert in the area, to make a long story short, that thing sold for about $2 million at Sotheby's on auction because it was a real thing from one of the Ming dynasties somewhere, right? Yeah. He tithed on that, by the way. That's, that's the great story with that. <laughs> He's the guy at his church. Uh, an expert was able to determine the value of that thing. You, 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 you have to be able to recognize the value uh, of the price that's been paid. Uh, You've got to recognize the value. In order to do that, you have to be actively looking. You have to have an open heart and an open mind. I was reading about uh, Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist. You heard of Richard Dawkins? Well, one of my evangelist guys that I follow... He said that Richard Dawkins' right-hand man is coming on to a Facebook show because he just gave his life to Jesus. He, he's an atheist. He had an open mind. He was looking for truth, and he found it. He went looking, he found it. Yeah. If it's valuable, you've got to know how to acquire it. That means you've got to be willing to surrender all that you have. Uh, I mean, in order to buy it, surrender it, sacrifice it, sell it, do whatever it takes to do that. That means you've got to lay down your pride, lay down your ego, whatever's got to go in your life to lay hold of that. That's what you do. It's amazing getting older. You know, I mean, some people still say I'm a young man. I appreciate you all saying that. But I'm dealing with, like, kids all the time. I'm watching life grow, and I'm telling you, the older I get, the more valuable Jesus is to me. And the older I get, the more real the more grateful, the more beautiful the kingdom of heaven is. Amen. How much do I appreciate it? I value it with my life. And, and, and the thing about the kingdom of heaven is it's like real estate. It's always accruing in value. I mean, I get older and then more, more valuable. I mean, it's just something I have in my heart. I love it so much. Now, one final parable here. And in this parable, uh, Jesus is switching gears in, in the 47th verse. He said, the kingdom of heaven... Is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and, and gathered uh, some fish of every kind, in which when it was full, it drew to shore, and they sat down, and they gathered the good into vessels, and they threw the bad away. So Jesus said, it's going to be like that at the end of the age. The angels are going to come. They're going to separate the wicked from among the just. Now, this is called the parable of the fishing there, the parable of the dragnet. And, you know, I think teaching my children to fish is like our next endeavor. You know, you can do that on camping trips. And, and, uh... Now, I've done lake fishing and stream fishing, which I think are great. My favorite is deep sea fishing. I've done that. 
I've never fished with a net. Anyone ever here fished with a net? If you get enough fish, like the Bible says, that thing gets real heavy, right? Well, here's the heavy truth that Jesus is letting us know in this parable, that the, the, the kingdom of heaven uh, is going to have a separation of believers and unbelievers here at the end of the age. That's going to take place. And this parable provides us with a certain perspective about that. So uh, the kingdom of heaven is elementary. We're talking basic principles 101. Jesus saves, and he said that you should go into all the world and preach the gospel. He who believes shall be saved, and he who doesn't believe shall be condemned. And that is the primary role for us as believers. Be about our Father's business. It's real simple. That's why you ought to get your kids to VBS and invite your neighbor kids and whoever you can, because you're trying to get the Word of God sown in their heart. We're having VBS kick off here in a few weeks. I am very excited about that, because that is a great place to get the Word of God sown in the heart of a child. Uh, The kingdom of heaven has this ethnic component to it. This is what's so interesting about it, man. There's all kinds of fish in the sea. John's gospel records that there was 153 fish, different kinds of fish, in his net in John 21. And that just tells you it's, it's like one of every kind. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. Every tribe, nation, and tongue. I went to Pakistan with my friend Joel, and people were telling Joel, why are you going to Pakistan? And Joel said, because Jesus didn't come for only white suburbia, bro. He came for everybody in the world, man. A fish of every kind. The kingdom of heaven requires evangelism. Man, we got to be fishers of men. The thing I've discovered about fishing is you got to go where the fish are. If the fish don't come, you go to them. And, and you know where they are. They're at your job. Uh, they're at your schools. They're your neighbors. And, and you just got to kind of go find out where they are and get the right hook on the line. You know, you got to get the right bait, and you can lure one in. That's how I like to work with my neighbors on it. you got to kind of find ways to get, get those fish on the hook. The kingdom of heaven is eternal. The angels are going to come, and they're going to separate the fish. They're going to separate the wheat from the tares. They're going to separate believers from unbelievers. And this should inspire us to urgency before it is too late for you. Think about that. It, it, the time is coming. You know, I, I read about a man who regretted buying a field. He was in agony over it because 30 years ago, he could have bought a field for $5,000, which today was worth more than $5 million. And he had gnashing of teeth, weeping over it. But uh, there are even bigger life decisions you might regret, like not accepting the Lord. And if you don't do that, you blow it and you only recognize it in eternity. And that would be worse. We're closing in on eternity. And that's what the parables about Jesus They're very telling. The the kingdom of heaven is valuable. It is priceless. It's worth everything you have. It it, it suffers violent forces attacking it. It, It's got these forces working against it. Violent men. And and some of the forces are external. Satan is, is like trying to sow seed and distract people. Some of the forces are internal that work against you, like your selfishness. But, but there's, there's pressure against it. It's work. And the kingdom of heaven comes in seed form. And if you get that seed sown in the heart, man, you watch as you, as you grow and change and multiply. It'll do things for you. It, it'll grow your life. It, it'll change you as a person. It, it will bring you into truth. Uh, and as long as you meditate on it, get it in your heart, apply it, germinate on it, man, you watch what it does. It, it takes the foolish people like myself, and, and it does turnarounds in their heart. 
That's how his word operates. That's how the kingdom of heaven works. You know, as you saw in that little clip there, my kids are begging me for a pet. <laughs> well, we, we haven't given in yet. But I, I, went to the, um, I went to the store and I bought a bag of bird seed. Does anyone know how long it will take for the birds to grow? Did you get my dad joke there? Yeah, that's, a, that's like how parables work. You have to get the punchline to get them. Did you get the parables this morning I was teaching you through? Yeah, that's how the parables work, man. Now, what influences are pushing against you? What are the things that are, you know, working against your heart and mind? Um, it, it could be a love of money. That was in the first parable. Man, do you know how many people are just chasing after money today? They get caught up in that. Man, I, I, I watch it, man. I, I watch people get massively in debt just trying to show off people. Uh, maybe it's a lust of other things. Um, it's easy in the society we're in to get caught up in a pursuit of pleasure. And I, I watch this especially with like, you know, younger people, millennials, man. It's like they, they'll forego all kinds of other things just to have pleasure, just to take the next vacation, just to have the next high, the next fun thing. People, people get lost with that, man. Or it could be a lack of character, no commitment. That's a reality for a lot of people. I think that's the hardest thing about church for me is watching when people who seem to be going so strong just disappear. And that, that is a reality in the kingdom. And it's something I, I want to watch from my own heart and guard against. I want to always make sure that that seed is growing, staying strong in my heart. Maybe it's just a lack of appreciation you have. You're unaware and you're unappreciative of the price that was paid for you and the value placed upon your soul. I mean, there's a value to it. There's an appreciation that has to exist. It's something that's valuable, priceless, precious. Uh, it could be that Satan is lurking. You know, he's a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for people. He's looking to pick them off. And a lot of times what I discover is people just don't know how to resist him. That's what the scripture says. Resist him and he will flee. You have authority over but it's like, man, people get, they, they get taken by him because they haven't known how to put walls. and They don't know how to use the word of God against the devil. That's how that seed is so important in your, in your life. So I want you to be fruitful and effective. How many of you want that in your life? Anyone want to be fruitful and effective? 30, 60, and 100 fold, man. That's what I want. I pray that at night. I say, God, I want to be 30, 60, and 100 fold. I want to be fruitful in the kingdom. I want to walk. I want to grow with you. And so I'm watching, man. And I want to just pray that over you. I want to pray we all grow in the things of God together. Yeah. Father, I just thank you for this group of people right now. I pray, Lord, multiply growth. Multiply growth. 30, 60, 100 fold, Lord. I pray, to, I pray that the seed of God's word gets into their heart. And I come against every offense, every deception. I pray, God, you expose it. Shine your light upon it. Yeah, I, I, I bind the enemy's work. And I pray right now for the Spirit of God to highlight and reveal things in hearts and minds that we would grow. Walk with you. Mm. Lord, I just thank you for your goodness and your mercy. I, I pray that we would understand the mysteries of the kingdom. Lord, just like when you came to the disciples and you breathed upon them and, and they had the ability to comprehend the scriptures, I pray that over this people. I pray it would inspire us and give us a passion in the name of Jesus, we pray.
amen and amen and amen. Amen. I had to laugh on our camping trip. You know, my uh, I look for camping sites with big boulders. But for some reason, kids love to climb on boulders. It's like the first thing they do. They see a boulder across the campground, and that's where they go to. Little rocks and stuff, that's, they just use those to throw in the rivers and creeks or at me. It's like small things are despised. Uh, but, you know, I have to think about the parable of the mustard seed. It's so interesting. Small things get despised, and you've got to be careful not to despise small things. Uh, that mustard seed's the tiniest of things, but it grows into the biggest tree. And that's what God does. He's chosen small things to accomplish His will on the earth. It, it might seem like a small thing to you, the Word of God, faith in Jesus, the blood of Jesus. They might look minor to you, but I'm telling you, they're so big in the eyes of God. They work mightily and massively. And, and wise people discern it. And I want to ask the question, has the mustard seed of God's word been sown in your heart? And if it has, it'll grow. If it has not, then you'll be fruitless and struggling your days. And I'd just like to give you the opportunity to get that seed of the word of God, the mustard seed, planted firmly in your heart. So if I get every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you this morning, is it alive in you? Is it growing in you? Have you given your heart to the Lord? Have you, do you understand the value placed for you? All right, well, if you understand the value, I want to challenge you to be a witness and a light everywhere you go. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand up this morning. Um, mm. Man, I, I just, I thank God for his word. I thank God for his word. You know, I had an interesting dream last night. That's how God does it to me sometimes. I was dreaming about church doctrine being taught and about how at the end of the age here, we have to be serious about believing truth and understanding right things. One way of looking at one of the parables where the birds of, of the air nest on the branches, if, if you look at like birds in the Bible, they can represent demonic activity. And, and you'll find in some places that there, there's false doctrines that exist and you have to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. And God cares about truth being taught. He cares about the honor of his word. And, and as I was teaching this morning, man, I just felt the Lord on me about truth. And there's something you got to hear. You got to know it. You got to have it in your heart. Yeah. Man, I just feel the presence of the Lord here. I feel his presence stirring me. And, and mm, I love him so much. Mm. You know what we ought to do? Let's just take a moment here as we close out. Let's just, let's just surrender ourselves even further. I want to come under him and submit to him. He said, take my yoke upon you. Lord, I wanna, we want to walk with you. We want to know you. We want to walk in truth and not be deceived. I pray, Lord, for hidden revelation, exposure of lies and truth. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Hmm. Amen. And I feel God's peace. I feel his presence. If you want prayer, the altars are open. We'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. Mm. Amen. Amen. I love you all very much. If you want prayer, we're here for you. Sign up for VBS. If you, if you want to come out next week to our class after church, man, we'd love to have you. And uh, man, I, uh, I just feel God's presence, so I'd love to pray with you if, if, you're, if you want prayer. I'll catch you all next week, man. I love you all. Bye-bye.
Mm. God bless.